Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you season two of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I, I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. Good afternoon. Right on, baby. Yes, Bears fans, this is Take the North with your hosts, David Hall. There has been a lot in what promises to be a busy offseason, whether it's speculation over the number one draft pick and Justin Fields being traded or the execution of the closing on the land in Arlington Heights. And Dan Weeder. The 2023 Bears are made for the offseason. They are a dream in terms of content, in terms of debates, in terms of talking points, in terms of developments. We're just getting started. We're going to take the North and never give it back. Welcome to the Take the North podcast on your free Odyssey app. I'm David Haw from the Mullion Haw Show on 670 The Score. Dan Weeder from the Chicago Tribune covers the Bears and is back from Arizona. And we are back talking Bears because we are now, as we speak, a little more than three weeks away from the NFL draft. There's a lot going on. There's a lot to catch up on. And you can hear it all here on the Take the North podcast. You can watch us on the 670 The Score's YouTube page. Dan, welcome back. And there's not been a ton that has gone on, but there's always something to talk about. And there's activity at Hallis Hall. So we will address some of that stuff as well as some speculation as we get nearer to the draft. Yeah, it's good to be back. A little bit sunburned, but refreshed. That's always a good thing. And uh, looking forward to this next three-week stretch, you know, as well as those who know me very well know, uh, that when we finally get into this home stretch of pre-draft speculation, I get get a little more giddy because the the end is near, the finish line is in sight, and we can stop talking about possibilities A through Z, and eventually we just get down to a draft class that we can analyze and figure out where they're going. And it feels like we're in that home stretch now. Uh, As you mentioned, just a little bit more than three weeks to go until the first night of the draft. Um, you know, there's a lot to learn about a lot of these round one prospects that the Bears have on their radar. And it's going to be kind of fascinating, not only during this home stretch of pre-draft analysis, but during draft weekend to kind of try to pick the brains of the folks up at Hallis Hall to see how they uh, felt about guys that they picked and then also about some guys that that they probably uh, passed on when they get their opportunity to pick, presumably at number nine. Let's get right to it for people wondering about uh, some thoughts and also what's going on at House Hall in terms of hosting people for pre-draft visits. The biggest name, of course, Jalen Carter. Jalen Carter visited Hallis Hall this week, according to reports. Dan, there are a couple of interesting things I, I want to explore. I guess number one is what that means yeah. in terms of how real their intentions might be to draft him versus is it more of a what they refer to often as a smoke screen and, and to kind of, you know, show misdirection, if you will. The other thing I think is interesting about the reports related to Jalen Carter 
was what ESPN reported about how he will only visit teams drafting in the top 10. But to me, this little significant bit of information, maybe you can help shed some light on. Drew Rosenhaus is now representing him. I don't know how recent of an addition that is. My sense is that Drew Rosenhaus uh, was not representing him during the pro day experience. That was a negative one for Jalen Carter, but there's a lot there. Jalen Carter at house hall and will only visit teams drafting in the top 10. Well, Jalen Carter has been signed on with the Rosenhaus agency since he put himself into this process. So he has been part of that agency from step one uh, after his college career finished and, and and now he goes through this process. So that is notable. Um, the visit to me, David, is significant in that it shows you that the Bears are um, intent on being thorough and making sure they get the most comprehensive evaluation of a prospect that three months ago everyone assumed would be one of the top two players taken in this draft. And so I think it's smart by Ryan Poles and his staff to use that tool to be able to have Jalen Carter on campus, to be able to ask them as many questions as they possibly can about any issues they possibly have to try to make sure that they get themselves comfortable with whatever decision they're going to make on draft night. If they even get a decision, there's a, a possibility that Jalen Carter is gone before the Bears even pick, but you have to be prepared. You have to do your homework. You have to have a feeling inside the building on who this guy is, not only as a player, but who he is as a teammate, who he is as a worker, who he is as a professional. And that's why an on-campus vision visit is is so meaningful because you can you can have him on your turf and you can feel that out and you can dig into as many deep issues as you want to make sure that everything that's gone on here over the last three months has um, a little bit more clarity for you and, and you can understand the wiring of the kid the thought process of the kid the 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 red flags with the kid and you just get it all put into a pot right and then and then sometime in the next three weeks you have to have that long hard discussion inside the building and what do we do if he's available to us at number nine. I really didn't know that the Rosenhaus agency was representing him. And I think I, I sound a little surprised and maybe I should have known that, but it seemed like that whole pro day thing was not handled in a way that typically Drew's clients are handled. I mean, there, there was, there was kind of a mixed message coming out of there. It was not, he was prepared fully. And you don't often see that from an agency that is uh, as experienced in putting guys in the best possible light as Drew Rosenhaus clearly is. That's maybe beside the point. Dan, I, I do wonder, though, in terms of you, you mentioned how, you know, it, it, the Bears drafting ninth, would Jalen Carter even be there? I fully expect him not to be uh, on the board at ninth. I, I think that he's – be, I'd be surprised if the Lions let him get past six. I also think there might be a team that jumps ahead, perhaps, if they feel like the risk is is uh, the reward is worth the risk. I don't know if the Bears are in that situation. So, oddly enough, I think maybe this is due diligence. They have to do this because Ryan Poles kind of previewed that he would talk to him, and you want to be sure that you do that. But I, I'll, I think it m might ultimately be – I don't say much ado about nothing, but I guess I would be very surprised if Jalen Carter's still on the board at number well, one. Well, look, we talked in our last episode about some of the things that Ryan Poles said from the owners' meetings, which was, look, the, the, the locker room may not necessarily be at a place right now in this stage of the rebuild to run itself. And so you want to be a little bit more careful on the risks you take and 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 sort of the the potential problems that you bring into a locker room like that. And so I think they're, they're, they're married to that stance. At the same time, if you visit with a kid and you, you – it can go one of two ways either you can get greater comfort uh 
and some of the things that made you very uncomfortable uh, over the last couple months, or you can just get greater certainty on, yeah, yeah, we're making the right decision. This isn't a fit for our building. And we saw it firsthand because he was in the building and we felt that he wasn't a fit, right? And so that's part of this process that's really interesting. I think the operative word here, when when you have a, a better understanding of kind of the things that they're talking through inside the walls of 1920 Football Drive is trust. They want to know that the player that they're drafting to be the headliner of their 2023 draft class can be trusted. And that goes in a number of different directions, right? It's can you be trusted to work as hard as every other teammate in the locker room? Can you be trusted to handle fame and uh, spotlight and renown uh, the way they want you to, not only in the first couple of years of your NFL career, but for the long term? Can you be trusted to take care of your professional business when you're away from the facility? And so sifting through that, um, takes homework. It takes a lot of homework. And, and as you know, uh, I think there have been times in the past at House Hall under different administrations where the homework hasn't been complete. And it's something that I would take my son away from the dinner table and say, listen, more detail. <laughs> you know, this homework is fine and you can turn that in and get your passing grade or whatever, but more detail. Do this to the, 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 the most thorough possible uh, solution that you can find. And that's what the Bears are doing right now. Stop cheating off the Texans. Right. Um, so um, you, you look at the, the pre-draft visit process and, and I'm curious, you know, what you overall think the value of that can be besides due diligence. You mentioned, you know, what they're looking for in Jalen Carter. I think typically how in, in your experience have you found those to be in, in, impactful for the, the decision? Because, you know, uh, on Wednesday. Uh, Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech, yeah. 6'6", 270, the guy who is a specimen, he's at Hallis Hall. So you're going to hear names, and I think what people strive to to do is to understand what that means. So I guess if you had to tell somebody you run into at the grocery store, hey, did you hear uh, Tyree Wilson's visiting Hallis Hall? Hey, Jalen Carter was there. How do you answer those questions about exactly what that means to whether or not they're going to draft him or not. Well, yeah, it, it means nothing to whether they're going to draft him or not. I've always um, laughed when when there is a lot of hullabaloo made of so-and-so is visiting. It, it, it doesn't. There's no correlation between guys who visit and guys who are eventually picked by the team. There have been years where the Bears have put together entire classes, you know, that, that haven't had uh, anybody that's visited. And, and so there, there's not correlation there. But for the people inside the building there, it's very important because it helps you, again, further your evaluation of someone. You get interactions face-to-face -face that feel a little different. You get other people in your building with a chance to meet a player who may have an impression or an experience that they can relay that, that illuminates a little bit more of the character of the player that you're bringing in. I think it's really interesting because Ryan Poles noted last week at the owners' meetings that obviously the COVID world disrupted everything right during the 2020 draft process and ever since to some extent because zoom became a tool and the bears can can zoom interview a lot more prospects in 2023 than they were ever doing five years ago and so there's a volume to that that is significant but as ryan said it also takes away from the the, the sort of in-person feeling that you get with a guy that can be significant. And, and he gave one example from last year's draft class, Jaquan Brisker. He said, we interviewed Ju Jaquan at the combine. Uh, you know, he was fine. We interviewed him at the pro day. He was fine. Came into our ca campus for uh, a top 30 visit and his passion just came flowing out through the entirety of the visit, the, 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 the love for the game of football, the way he kind of is wired and, and, and goes about his business 
emanated, right? And so they felt really good uh, uh, on the first night that they got to pick last year, which was day two, uh, in who Juquan Brisker was. And they felt very comfortable in drafting him, in part because that pre-draft visit gave them a feeling. And sometimes that is is important. Sometimes it's important in the wrong direction because sometimes you get feelings that are wrong. But at the very least, I think these, these 30 visits give you a, a full day to kind of run things on your terms and get a, a clearer picture of who a guy is or who he isn't. And I doubt they play darts or putt-putt during these visits. <laughs> they might have I mean, something in there, right? They, they might, might go down. <laughs> you think they'll have maybe some sort of, yeah, I, I don't know. I would be curious. I would love to find out uh, what the agenda is on these typical visits and who spends uh, what, who spends time with these prospects is it beyond the position coach and other people who might give them a different aspect. You know, it, it, And also I think it's interesting. I, I remember, I forget the year, but uh, somebody who was visiting at House Hall as a prospect, their agency, and then said the player was first reaction was, I thought we were going to Chicago. <laughs> it was like, I thought this was the <laughs> Chicago Bears because they landed O'Hare, they drive to Lake Forest, they visit Hallis Hall, and then they go back and they don't really ever get a chance, at least in that example, to see the city. And I think there's a lot of different things that come out of these visits, not anything really that relevant necessarily, but all kind of newsworthy at a time where everything, everybody's looking for a little piece of information. I'm trying to remember. I'd have to go back in my archives. And I know it's probably in there. That I, I believe there was a dinner with Roquan Smith in, in 2018 that left a strong impression on both Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy. Uh, and, and so, like, just having a guy in that environment and kind of seeing how stiff or how loose or how um, thoughtful and how engaged he is, it, it can be revealing, you know, and it's all just part of the process. Again, like, we'll learn more about the, the draft class that the Bears put together at the end of this month, and we'll figure out at various points of the pre-draft process, what exactly sold Ryan and his staff on certain players. Ryan did a great job last year of making the area scouts available to us during draft weekend to get the, you know, those are the, the, the guys with the first guys with the boots on the ground that give you the initial sort of attraction to a player. And then you kind of learn about how um, a, a certain player went through the process and how they wound up becoming a Chicago bear because of the attraction that the, that the team had to them. A couple other things I want to get to. So Dan, we talk about the culture and Ryan Poles alluded at the owners meetings, whether or not the Bears have the kind of experience where that could absorb or maybe even protect a guy like Jalen Carter, who needs that structure, needs those veterans, needs that kind of experience to lean on. So it got me thinking, you know, when you talk about a guy like David Montgomery, mm-hmm. who uh, Ryan Poles essentially said, pick the Lions over the Bears because the Bears made an offer that was very similar in in terms of guaranteeing money in the second year and very competitive in terms of the overall size of the package. And it just came down to, as polls alluded to, sometimes you can't convince a player just wants to be somewhere else. Is that something that we should keep an eye on? Is that something that is a one-off? I'm trying to interpret what it means when a guy who they like so much and kind of epitomized everything you want in a Chicago Bear, said, you know what, all things being equal, and the money apparently was, I'd rather play in Detroit for the Lions. Well, I wrote about this at the end of the first week of free agency because I was struck by the tone that Montgomery had at his introductory press conference in Detroit. Now, obviously, any guy who signs with a new team is going to go there with a level of excitement uh, to join that new organization. But there was something in in David's kind of tone and body language that 
indicated you know, almost a frustration. And then you go through the numbers and you look at his four years in Chicago that the Bears never finished higher than 24th in total offense, never finished higher than 23rd in the league in scoring. And he's joining a Lions offense that last year was top five in both of those categories. He's joining a Lions offense that last year took Jamal Williams from this sort of ordinary middle tier running back into a guy who was going uh, into the end zone every single week, you know, and scoring 15, 16 touchdowns in a season. And so the opportunity to, to join a high powered offense after you've been in, I mean, think about when David joined the bears 2019 through 2022 has been a slog offensively. They have been stuck reworking things, trying to new things, trying to refigure things out, trying another new thing. It's been a constant, we can't get this right. And, no matter how hard we try, we can't get this right scenario in Chicago. And you can understand why a player would then sort of take note to see if the grass is greener somewhere else. Now, Ryan Poles was very clear at the owners meetings last week and saying, number one, players have a choice. And David obviously chose to try, but also that knowing how David Montgomery is wired, seeing him twice a year, at least in 2023, is going to be interesting because as hard as David Montgomery runs, <laughs> every time he touches the football, you have to imagine he's going to turn it up even one more half notch when he plays the Bears uh, just because you know it didn't it result in a second contract here in Chicago. Um, it's going to be fascinating. But to, I think, David, to your larger point, the Bears aren't in a position where people are, are, are gravitating towards them. We can you know, pick hands fed questions to prospects on how much Justin Fields being in Chicago led them to become a Chicago bear. But the fact of the matter is, is that the bears took a lot of swings in free agency. And I want to get into this a little bit more later in the show that they didn't connect on and David Montgomery's one of them. And so like, we can talk all we want about, Oh yeah, they've got this master plan and they're, they're playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers. The fact of the matter is, is that they don't succeed in every decision they make in the spring. And that's, this is one example where they didn't with a homegrown player who you thought was a true uh, DNA guy inside the locker room at House Hall. Let's get into some of those free agent questions because I do uh, think the Bears, it, it, the first wave's done, the second wave's done. Now we're at the, you know, picked over phase. And I wonder yeah. who else is out there, what you learn from the experience. The first name that comes to mind is somebody that a lot of contenders will be talking to Frank Clark's an edge rusher. I don't know at the stage of his career, but because of the chiefs connection, yeah. you do wonder, Dan, what is your overall number one assessment of who else might be left? And secondly, the things you learned in looking back during the free agent process. Well, I think Leonard Floyd is still out there as well, right? So if you want a reunion in Lake Forest with Leonard, that, that that might be available to you. I think it's worth reiterating that this next wave of free agency is likely to come after the draft. As we talked about the last time, like players now kind of want to see how the landscape settles after the draft and where the opportunities are best, because obviously the money for anybody that's still left on the market wasn't what they thought it was going to be. You know, and so when that happens, the next thing you're looking for is opportunity. And sometimes opportunity comes in the form of, hey, I want to go join a contender and chase a ring. And I want to see how that works out. And sometimes it comes in the form of who's got an opportunity for me to really, really uh, have a, a leading role on offense or defense and, and to be able to make a big splash to get my next contract. The Bears, obviously, in the latter category would be high up that list because their depth chart is so uh, unestablished, right, and, and and not rock solid. That that they're going to have opportunities to give to guys after draft weekend passes. It'll be interesting to see where that goes. On the topic of free agency, I think probably my most notable um, takeaway. A couple weeks later here, I guess we're probably three plus weeks now beyond the the free agency negotiating window opening. Is that the Bears were active 
and taking big swings and the defensive tackle market, David, and they didn't connect. You know, there, there was a sense of deflation at Hallis Hall uh, when Javon Hargrave got a massive deal from the 49ers that the Bears had uh, no ability or no willingness probably is more likely to match just based on where they had valued him. Draymond Jones, a guy they, they had interest in, but only to a point. Right, and he goes and signs a big deal with the Seahawks. You have uh, Dalvin Tomlinson and David Onyemata, two guys that the Bears were in the mix for, didn't get. To me, this is reflective of Ryan's approach, and we can critique it two years down the road on whether um, you know he's being practical and prudent or whether he's being overly cautious with some of this because this was an offseason where the Bears did have flexibility to overextend themselves a little bit and go beyond the value that they thought a player was at. But Ryan is wedded to the idea that that's when you make big mistakes. And so he stays true to a philosophy of, hey, once it surpasses our value bucket, which happened with Draymond Jones, they were active in the conversations with Draymond Jones. And once it got past a certain number, uh, it was okay. You know, best of luck to you. That's that's as far as we're willing to go. And now he signs elsewhere. You know, so there there is a lot here where the Bears only notable addition to the interior of their defensive line is Andrew Billings. <laughs> as you know, that didn't cause a lot of waves in Chicago. That wasn't a big Chicago Tribune front page headline Bears sign Billings rebuild, you know, complete. <laughs> you know, they've got a lot more remember, to do. And so I, I, I think I don't it's just remember. notable. Yeah, I don't remember breaking into programming. Yeah, you remember where you were when DJ Moore became a bear, right? You don't remember where you were when Andrew Billings became a bear. So that tells you all you need to know. The Bears have a lot of work to do to shore up the defensive line position. That's interior and on the edge, and they're going to have to do a lot more of it in the weeks ahead. They didn't get as much done in free agency as they went into free agency intending to do, and it's okay to note that. It's also okay to note that Ryan has been emphatic in saying, look, I'm very understanding that I can't, fill every hole in one off season and that there are going to be holes that we get to, to June of this year that aren't filled that they say, look like this was never going to be a one year rebuild. And so we have to just save some of our assets and our capital, both draft and salary cap wise for 2024 and beyond. And, and that's just where they are right now. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. A couple leftovers from the owners' meetings I don't think we discussed, but Matt Eberflus talked about a couple positional changes. Or not even changes, but solidified some guy, where some guys will play. Wanted to get your reaction and just maybe refresh memories of some of our listeners here. So Tevin Jenkins could be inserted at left guard because right. of Nate Davis being established as the right guard. Tevin Jenkins at left guard is kind of a new concept to consider for a lot of people. On defense, Tremaine Edmonds is going to be the middle linebacker. He's not going to be the weak side linebacker in the Shaq Leonard role. This is going to be the guy, man in the middle. He's going to be the Brian Urlacher, 
um, kind of clone in theory. And TJ Edwards is going to play the weak side <laughs> linebacker where we thought it might be reversed because of TJ Edwards' success in the middle for the Eagles uh, in the middle calling the defenses. I, I wonder what you thought about those three things specifically because those are three, you know, not they're subtle but not insignificant moves. No, I think those are very notable, and I'm proud of you for for saying Tremaine Edmonds and TJ Edwards because that's going to gum us up all yeah, year. It's going it to be is. difficult. Yeah. I've been calling him TJ Walker here and there because of uh, <laughs> PJ Walker. Yeah, right. so you got DJ, PJ, TJ, uh, Edmonds, Edwards, all those things. We'll Look, get the like, PJ in a second. The, the most notable thing to me that came out of Matt Eberflus's assessment of Tremaine Edmonds is this idea that the ball production that has been missed Thing for five years in Buffalo can be taught. You're going to have some skeptics on that. Color me right. skeptical until I see it, you know, because a lot of times you can say, hey, you can coach this into a player. You can emphasize it, and all of a sudden it'll unlock something that's within him that has never been shown before. That happens on occasion. It also doesn't happen frequently. Well, and so I'm really also- curious to see kind of – uh, wasn't that also the argument against Rokon Smith is that he wasn't going to be that guy because he never had been and, and you can't really expect the player to change and yet now we're being told that this is what to expect from Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, correct. And so so it is complicated and it's worth watching their developmental plan for Edmonds to see how he does and then it'll be worth watching. Uh, Edwards <laughs> try to function in a, in a position that should allow him production. Now, the production he had in Philly, it's notable and it's significant just because this was a guy who who climbed the ladder uh, and, and took himself from from nothing on draft weekend into a guy who could be a a you know reliable contributing starter on a team that played for the Super Bowl. But he was also playing behind one of the best defensive fronts in football, and we've mentioned how deficient the Bears defensive front is currently three weeks before the draft. So we're going to have to see what, what TJ Edwards has in his game that, that can take those around him up a level when those around him aren't taking him up a level. That's going to be interesting. Tevin Jenkins to me is, is, is super interesting, David, because there was this uh, odd perception outside of Hellas Hall in Chicago in 2022 that he had had some sort of remarkable breakthrough. And I don't know where that started or where it came from. I thought he made a really nice transition from tackle into the guard position and showed flashes of promise in there. But again, I just keep going back to 11 games over two seasons that he's played uh, more than 50% of the offensive snaps. You've got dependability issues there. You have durability issues there. I was going back last week during the owners meetings after Ryan Poles told us that left guard will be the place that he starts the, the spring at. And, and that they're going to work with him there uh, to, to, to remember all the things that Tevin's been through. Obviously you remember the back surgery that came during training camp of his rookie season. Well, last year there was that whole absence for the first week and a half of, of training camp with an injury that was never disclosed. And there was that mystery there. Well, then you get into the, the regular season and there there's neck issues and there's, you know, the, the, the game where Tevin was, um, not inactive, <laughs> but was basically, I'm only available in case of an emergency. There's a lot of things that the folks inside Hallis Hall need to see from Tevin Jenkins to lock him into their long-term plans. And right now, moving him again, positionally, I've, it's just one side of the center to the other, is notable because it tells you that he is not a guy that they are 100% um, emphatically in belief that he is going to be a difference-making starter for their next championship team. Are they putting bruised egos on the injured list or injury list every week yet? Because maybe it's something like that. Yeah, it's very mysterious. He's a guy that you can't figure out, but he does have 
the loaded word potential. He is a guy that the Bears drafted relatively high, and you would think that he has something in there that might be worth, you know, giving every trying him and anywhere and exhausting every option. So, I, and the other thing is, Dan, it's always about who is the alternative. What is your alternative? at left guard is it Cody Whitehair or is Cody Whitehair going to be your center that may be your best five and if they're always talking about playing the best five and Tevin Jenkins is one of them and gives you an element of toughness when he plays I could see that and good grief you better find somebody in the draft on day one or day two that you can introduce and say this guy is going to be a starter in week one and we believe that he's going to be a starter on our offensive line for six or seven years you have to go there because you can't go through a season where everyone says the offensive line is horrible that offensive line is horrible and then trick yourself into thinking well Braxton Jones is is, is a promising player and Tevin Jenkins has got great potential and Cody's been here for a while you can't have it both ways either they're 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 deficient or they're satisfactory and it feels like there's been a lot of mental gymnastics gymnastics being done on both sides of that balance beam. You've got four picks in the top 64. You've got to find at least one of those picks that you consider an anchor on your offensive line. Ideally, there could be two starters that you would envision being, you know, those guys. But from 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 the draft to week one, you've got to pick one guy either on draft night or in the first, you know, four among the top 64 picks that you could say is that guy. So I'll save this for a couple minutes up the road, but I agree with you, right? Like, and, and it, somebody has to be that guy and you have to walk into your first mini camp practice with a better feeling about your offensive line than you had at the end of last season. You just have no to, doubt they, about just, it. they no. spent the entire year trying to figure that out, never figured it out. And now th- there's no time to waste because again, you have already started loading the truck for the no excuses tour for Justin Fields in 2023, which, oh, by the way, may have a European stop on it. Uh, but we have to make sure that we remove excuses week by week by week so that we get the true evaluation of who this guy is as a quarterback and, and the true evaluation of what direction the Bears franchise is headed. So you're exactly right. I, I, I agree with that. I want to ask you a question. You brought up Justin Fields. I want to talk about the backup quarterback position for a second. Uh, I don't know what the status is of Trevor Simeon signing with the Bengals, but I do know the NFL Network reported that he visited Cincinnati. And so I know the Bears took care of their backup quarterback uh, spot with, with PJ Walker, the you know one of three Hornets that Hornets, <laughs> one of three uh, Panthers <laughs> that are now uh, with the Bears. They took the shuttle from Charlotte, and they also re-signed with Nathan Peterman, who is basically a camp arm, but he's a guy who's been in the system. Dan, I, what does that say, if anything? I mean, was Simeon that bad of a fit? Were they that mad because he got hurt in pregame warmups? Was was he dissimilar in ways that you know were, weren't as obvious because they totally pivoted away from him? I think he still, you know, and and the obvious question is maybe it's simplistic, but if he's good enough to be a backup for a team with Super Bowl aspirations, one snap away from taking over that team in Cincinnati, why would the Bears move on from that kind of certainty? Well, first of all, I was checking my notes to see if I missed the Larry Johnson signing with all the ex-Hornets that were coming to play for the Bears. Folks. <laughs> but look, like I think Ryan Poles believes that that PJ Walker gives them a um, more similar game to Justin Fields and a more sk- similar skill set. I think that they, the the Bears were. I don't want to say taken off guard, but whatever one level below taken off guard was at 
the Jets week, just in this, this from the standpoint of you had some questions coming out of Atlanta on whether Justin was going to be able to play. And then when it became clear that he wasn't going to be able to play, well, now all of a sudden you had this, this really rushed and urgent um, process to try to mold the offense around the guy that was going to have to start a game for you in New York. And I think it made a lot of people in that building really uncomfortable. I'm like, man, we had to do a lot in a, a, a very short amount of time just to try to get ourselves up to speed to even be competitive in a game, which as you remember, they weren't all that competitive in after the, you know, the first quarter. Um, so, so stylistically, I think there's some things that, that really drew them to PJ Walker. I think they saw some things on his, his tape uh, it, during the times where he was called in to be an emergency starter that impressed them. And it was just a, a situation to turning the page now what was really interesting if you remember that nathan peterman made that that week 18 start in that game that no one will ever remember for for the history of time uh and and he sort of expressed some um weird feelings about what went on the the morning of the jets game saying like like you didn't want to talk about it he you know he didn't really know how he went from being the named starter an hour and a half before kickoff to being back in a backup role well nathan peterman resigned with the bears last week and so they've got qb3 uh to to, to run them through uh off-season drills and to take a bunch of reps in the preseason in august and and so so peterman's back in the fold um but but Simeon isn't. So it is what it is. And, and you know, as you know, in Chicago, there is a certainty that you will see two quarterbacks in a season. There is a near certainty in a lot of years that you'll see three. Well, that's why it's a big deal. And I also wonder this. What is the certainty or what is the probability that they draft a quarterback? We always ask that. They never do. But I wonder, does this season feel different because of, you know, Justin Fields, you know, they're leaning into him. They are investing in him. But that also means that, you know, it'd be great to have somebody to develop that has similar style uh, approach to, to playing quarterback. I, I just don't know when they do it, if they yeah. do it this year. Too, too many holes to fill on this roster to do that. I, really? what, there, there, are, there are two conversations, David, to me during draft season that drive me crazy annually. The first one is, oh, you got to stay true to your board. I've talked about it before on this this podcast that staying true to the, the board is, is one of the, the dumbest rationalizations that I've ever heard because the board is wrong every year in every single building in the NFL. No one has ever had a board that's come close to looking like it's, you know, even 60% accurate. So the board is just a board. It's it, it, it's it's how you, you, you set players. Anyway, that's a side rant for another day. The other one is that you have to draft a quarterback you have to draft a quarterback. Go look at the stats of day three quarterbacks that turn into everything. I get it. Brock Purdy was playing at a high level for a high level offense in San Francisco last year. And so the appeal is like, oh, why didn't we get that guy uh, that no one was looking at to, to become our starter? Day three guys wash out quicker than 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 the laundry. And, and, and so like this idea that you have to, to, to draft and develop a guy every year, you, you, you find players you like. And, and, and forcing the issue just to have another quarterback in the building that you can take a swing at, it doesn't pan out. I, go, go look at the New York Jets history of, of quarterbacks, both day one, day two, day three, that they've taken over time. And then tell me uh, about how you need to have a quarterback every year. Anybody heard from Bryce Petty recently? <laughs> you know, you know, like, like I'm still looking uh, for Dan Lefevre. <laughs> but, 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 right. again, but, but again, but, but again, I, I know what you're David saying. David fails, right? That's the last day three yeah, quarterback the Bears yeah. rolled the dice Who was the guy? Nathan Enderley, right? We can, I can top you. I can think I would go way back. How about Craig Krenzel? Dr. Krenzel to you. Awesome. Had, had a great 2004 year, right? But, okay, th that's true. And I think you can have the math to back it up. But I also think that if you're a franchise as tortured at the position as the Chicago Bears are, 
I would want to think you would, you know, want to increase your chances to fail or succeed. So I would want to buy extra lottery tickets or at least one more. I know I may not be, yeah, I know I just need to have that extra linebacker because I can't find another guy to cover kicks. But I almost think that if you're going to spend it on an extra position and you are the Bears where you are, largely because you could never find a quarterback, I might want to try to change my luck by doing things a different way. Go Costanza. Do the opposite. <laughs> so if you're tempted to draft a linebacker, don't in the fifth round or sixth round. Don't draft an offensive lineman or defensive lineman, even though you have needs screaming that you do that. Go quarterback. Find some guy from Iowa State or Colorado State or the Pac-12, goodness sakes. Find a quarterback that you can go to and maybe emerges in camp and, and delights Chicago on an August you know, preseason game. I don't know, Dan. The more I'm around – the more I lament the fact they don't draft quarterbacks often enough. I'm giving you homework then because you're, you're, you're emphatic about this. You got homework for next week in this episode. You're going to go get me three day three quarterbacks that you're okay. enamored with that I you will. want the Bears to take a swing on Saturday how, in the draft. I didn't realize how passionate I was about it, so I started talking about it. <laughs> I want them to draft a quarterback, and that's going to be my go, mandate this year. Go, go get go get me three of them, and, and we'll, we'll size them up, and we'll right. figure out, we'll figure out what they're going to become. Three day three quarterbacks that were drafted that were worth the pick i will find that do they have to be bears no no i'm, t- I'm talking and i'm talking in this class I, i'm oh, talking this about class? this class oh, i want oh. I, I want three names this okay. year that oh, you're awesome. so intrigued awesome. by that they have to like this even easier i, will. I mean, kyle, kyle orton i think you know the, the draft may not have been three days yet when he was picked that was the one in a round four selection his that they, beard was older than the draft when he was drafted and he helped the bears to the playoffs when 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 rex got hurt right and played played a, a, at a level that earned him a lot of respect in that locker room there are examples out there i'm just telling you percentage wise it's not what everyone thinks it is and and like you like the packers they used to get right. oh you know they, they've got Favre and 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 rogers and they, they're not scared right like like Kurt whatever red hunley hunley and look who else they drafted <laughs> jordan love oh wait all right no he was the first example they wanted it caused some hurt feelings all right we digress so i know you want to get to something <laughs> else i want to ask you about real quickly the deep dive the athletic did with Kevin Fishbane, Adam Johns, and Joe Person from Charlotte. It was the third, basically, retelling or telling of the process involved in draft and in, in trading the pick from one to nine. And uh, we learned some other details. But I, Dan, initially, my, my reaction is I love good journalism, and I think the sports writing. I'm a big fan because I, you know, it's, it's sometimes still M one, but I, um, I'm surprised, I think, that this has been a story told now three times. I'm surprised at the emphasis the Bears have allowed to occur on the process over the outcome. Because the more I read about this, this has been so process-oriented. We know everything that was going through Ryan Poles' mind every step of the way. Well, those are some good friends that uh, of mine that, that participated in that group effort at The Athletic and put together a pretty comprehensive report on things. I think you are right in saying that, look, like the spotlight ultimately goes to the result. And the result is a long way off. The result is probably four years away before we know 
what the Bears' return on this trade actually is. It, they have to use all those picks. <laughs> they have to turn all those picks into something before you know whether they got a good deal or whether they passed up things. There are a lot of things that we're going to have to revisit. And the journalism four years from now is going to be more important in terms of how did they evaluate the quarterbacks who did or did not become game-changing uh, playmakers in the NFL? What what other options did they have? All those different things. We've talked about those, the RG3 trade and, and, and how little that ultimately returned for the Rams when they got that huge haul and gift basket of picks many years ago. Um, so, so, the outcome of this trade is going to be a lot more fascinating than, than, than how it happened to begin with in my mind. Um, that said, like I I'm all for understanding in the moment, how decision makers went about making decisions. Every little bit of information we get to that end is valuable to us as, as journalists is valuable to our audience to just understand how you got from point A to point B. That's the stuff that, that, that fascinates me in terms of, decision-making philosophy and decision-making goals and, and, and aggressiveness and, and risk tolerance and all those things that come with this. Um, so it, 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 it's been interesting, I think, the last three weeks to learn more about that trade. I, I, just, I, I just still don't know that it's as landmark. Just because it's the number one overall pick, I don't know that this trade was as, as landmark as it's been framed really since last November. Right. Well, let me ask you three questions that I asked Kevin Fishbane on football night in Chicago on NBC Sports, NBC Sports Chicago on Tuesday night, okay, pertaining to this story specifically because I am curious about it as well, and I respect the heck out of all of them, um, and, and they are friends. So I am not – I'm not – it's exactly the same story you or I would have done and the same approach we would have taken. Um, I think the content and the, what we learned is what raises more questions for me than doing it at all. I get why you would do it. The Athletic does a terrific job on stories like these. Number one, what in the world was Ryan Poles doing calling Kyle Davidson for advice? <laughs> the Blackhawks general manager who's been here five minutes and frankly hasn't really distinguished himself as somebody whose opinion I would seek. Why did he do that in your mind? And what did you think of it? Well, look, I, one thing I really admire about Ryan uh, as a leader, as a general manager, he's, he's not, he's not, tunnel vision. He's not, I got to work in this football sphere. He's reached out to front office people in baseball to get new insight in, in the analytics and how certain things work. He's now obviously reached out to people in hockey because in this case, it sounds like from reading the piece that he was interested in how um, adding a player into the mix of a trade that includes a lot of other draft picks affects the value of the trade. And so, so he was just trying to get a little more insight there. Ryan is nothing if not thorough. And, and and we in Chicago should not scoff at thoroughness because I think there's going to be a new level of thoroughness, not only from the general manager, but from the people supervising the general manager, i.e. Kevin Warren, uh, that is going to help them put up more guardrails when they're making big, important decisions. I don't know how it relates in this case, but but that, that certainly seemed to be an example of wanting Fair to be enough. Fair enough. But there's a difference, Dan, between Brian Cashman and Kyle Davidson. Brian Cashman, the Yankees general manager who spent the day with Ryan Poles last May. Kyle Davidson, who just traded Patrick Kane and has done a good job of unloading players, but he's in the midst of the teardown. Maybe there's some apples to apples comparisons there. I will allow it. He's curious. He wants to leave no stone unturned. I just wonder if you're going to call an executive in Chicago right now, Here's Jed Hoyer's number, all right? Maybe that would be a better way to go than Kyle Davidson, but we digress. Secondly, 
did you get the impression that as much as Ryan Poles talked about the anxiety that he felt having the number one overall pick and the relief that he felt <laughs> after making the trade because now he could sleep at night, that the anxiety and the pressure compelled him to make the move sooner rather than later. And that's my maybe part of a big reason why we have the trade when we had the trade. I don't think it was the driving force, but I do think it was a factor, right? Because it wouldn't have been brought up as often as it has been if it wasn't a factor. Um, and so look like <laughs> I, I, I get it, you know, from a human standpoint, I can understand how that type of, uh, of pressure and that type of decision every single day that you're thinking about it kind of potentially leads you to paralysis by analysis. And, and so when you had an offer that you felt comfortable with, it's not like they, they reached at an offer that the rest of the league laughed at talking to people in, in Phoenix last week, everyone loved this deal. Yep. You know, for, from the Bears standpoint, they think the, right. the the Panthers obviously made up for the loss of DJ Moore by going out and signing a couple of proven veterans to replace him. But but no one was going, boy, the Bears really got, you know, <laughs> got taken on that one. They feel really good about the return the Bears got, particularly DJ Moore. Um, and so so like I don't think it was a panic decision, but I do think you're right in bringing up the idea that 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 anxiety was in the back of Ryan's head. I really like the DJ Moore addition. I think it was, we have talked about a lot that having that number one wide receiver is the best thing you can do for a young quarterback. That's why it surprised me to learn that, Dan, it seemed like DJ Moore was third on the list of players they wanted included in the trade. According to the story, there was Brian Burns, the edge rusher, Derek Brown, the three-technique defensive tackle, and then DJ Moore. I, I, I wonder... If that's the way you interpreted that, if it suggests that the Bears settled for DJ Moore over the other two guys, and if they did want the other two guys first, what that might say about, if anything, the commitment to Justin Fields. Well, no, I don't think it says a ton there. I think it, it okay. speaks more to positions of need. And, and I, I think you and I both sit here today on April 5th and go, good God, the defensive front needs help you know that that, that need right. is is blinking Great. the red light is blinking need 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 and so they tried to address one there we mentioned they tried to address them with some big swings in free agency and they haven't been able to connect the other notable part about this deal to me david is that they had to settle for the 49ers second round pick in that trade the one that the panthers got in the christian mccaffrey trade it's the second time now in two high profile deals where they've had to settle for something further down the draft board we obviously know uh what happened back in the fall when they had to give up <laughs> the, the the number 32 overall pick instead of number 53 uh to, to pittsburgh for, for, for the chase claypool trade and so now you've you've, you've left yourself some if anxiety bothered ryan poles in the in trying to trade this number one pick, it's really going to bother him from the time he goes to bed on the Thursday of draft weekend to the time the Bears pick again on Friday because there's going to be 40-plus players that come off the board in what the Panthers, in that story that you referenced, identified as their sweet spot in the draft. They think in that 20 to 50 range is, is, is a really nice, fertile ground of talent in this draft class, and the Bears aren't going to be able to, to enjoy any of it because they weren't able to get that part of the deal uh, swung in their favor as much as they probably wanted to. My last thing on this story is a positive observation. Not that those other ones were negative. I was just curious. But Ryan Poles, understanding David Tepper from having interviewed with the Panthers, David Tepper, the aggressive owner, the aggressive businessman for the Panthers, he's a guy that I think Ryan Poles knew 
might, once he got involved, want to act quicker, sooner rather than later. Also, the relationship with Scott Fitterer, the general manager, who he got to know as a scout on the road and sharing you know, uh, dinners or drinks or whatever the case may be. I think it says a lot about somebody who's an executive. We talk about relationships all the time, understanding how to, let's face it, not necessarily use those relationships, but let those relationships inform how you do your business. And this story revealed an example in those two cases that Ryan Poles was able to do just that. Also interesting, and as, as an extension of that, he seemed to get a little bit of cold feet in working with Nick Casario, the Texans, and not understanding what the Texans' true intentions were. Why that's notable to me is because Ryan Pace, Ryan Poles' predecessor, talked all the time about how he liked doing business with Nick Casario. I think most notably recently, the Bears traded up to get David Montgomery in 2019 with a deal with the Patriots and Nick Casario. They also traded Martellus Bennett to New England back in the day, if you recall that. And so it's interesting how... Um, different GMs have different relationships with different people that then sort of kind of steer them in different directions. We'll see where that all heads. Um, I, like I look like I, a couple things for me about Ryan Poles is again, the thoroughness is obvious. I think there's also a greenness to all this. That's obvious. I think we all have to remember that he's only been through one previous offseason before this in this chair with this kind of role. And I think it's really easy to just think that he's some finished product in a role and he's going to be executive of the year five times. I think there's a greenness to all of this that even he would openly acknowledge um, after, you know, what is it, 15 months now? in this chair that, that that he's still working through and he's still trying to to understand you know what he doesn't know and and how he needs to get better in certain areas and that's all going to play into what happens these next three weeks and the three weeks beyond that and then obviously for three years beyond that yeah i still love the trade i still think it was the right one to make and i'm not trying to you know question that or second guess that or reverse that and and we were talking about this a little bit on the on the mullen haas show on Wednesday morning and Texter referred to us as the nattering nabob of negativity. Now we're not trying to be that and I can't hardly say it again, so don't ask me to, but I just think that raised some really interesting questions. And I, the, the final one that I had, then we can wrap this up was that how surprised are you that we know this much about this deal? Because this is the third national outlet that Ryan Poles has shared the details of of a pretty, you know, private process. Typically we find out things after the fact, but they're not always confirmed or there's not always a consensus, you know, narrative, but we now have heard from Peter King and Albert Breer and now the athletic, he has now established exactly what has happened throughout the process. And I wonder uh, how unusual you think that is? Well, I, I, what it illuminates to me is the Bears' relevance in the NFL conversation. They have been irrelevant for so long that now you have a lot of outside outlets shining a brighter spotlight on what they're doing on an everyday, every week basis than we've had for the last four plus years. And so it feels new and it feels uh, new to some extent to have a general manager who's open and and willing to do these kinds of things. Ryan Pace did these things as well. You know, I, I, <laughs> I wrote the big deep dive on on their discovery of Mitch Trubisky with the you know back in 2017 that now becomes fodder for for comic relief for Bears fans I'm going oh man he drove a Camry and he you know he made a reservation under the name James McMahon and all these things like 
GMs, when they feel like they've done something successful, are very willing to share their methodology for doing something successful. It doesn't always turn out to be successful, great point. as we've it's mentioned. And that's why the yeah. outcome is, is is very valuable, you know, three, four years down the road to kind of explore I, all this. I, I'd say I'm pleasantly surprised because it, you hope that that level of um, candidness and forthrightness and transparency continues to exist on, on bigger things. Because if you're confident in what you do, uh, y- you shouldn't be reluctant to tell people how you do what you do. Maybe that's what Kyle Davidson told him he should do. You know, be as open as possible. <laughs> Heck, I traded Patrick Kane on Chicago Blackhawks TV. And he did. He did. They videotaped him talking to Patrick Kane and saying, Patrick, we have a deal. So maybe it all maybe that was the advice to be as open as possible. But we digress and getting a little silly here. Anything we left out, Dan? Anything we need to get to? Yeah, I'm going to go really quickly with some bullet points for you. The first one's a longer bullet point, but I think one of the things that that you're kind of learning about the Bears draft process. Last year, they did a, a nice job of turning what picks they had into more picks, and they traded back a bunch on day three to add a bunch of guys that they felt like could be roster making, you know, 53 man roster guys that they could could bring to to week one well now that their roster is getting a little bit more fortified and it's not in complete teardown mode anymore it's going to be harder and harder for them to get those round six seven late round five guys to the 53 man roster so look for the idea of late day two early day three the bears moving back in that range instead of later in the draft and trying to add picks in those 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 more middle rounds in rounds four or five uh that that can help them so that that's just something to keep keep tabs on as we go into draft week in three weeks from now um crossover practices ryan poles uh and the bears seem to be pushing towards doing those again. Most teams are, are headed in that direction. Fewer and fewer starters are are playing uh, meaningful playing time in the preseason in August. And so I would be um, expecting of the Bears to try to work some kind of deal uh, to, to, to getting crossover practices. Now, they, uh, it my, it's my understanding that they would prefer to do those on the road away from Alice Hall. They only have one preseason road game on their schedule this year. And so we'll have to see how they make that work. Or maybe they have two. I, I have to double look at that, but they'll have to, to, to find somebody that works for them. That's going to be an interesting thing. Um, Chase Claypool and B. John Robinson, this is just a little tease. Those are two names that will appear in a storylines piece that I'll have at chicagotribune.com uh, later this week. There's some Whoa, really notable stuff there. Oh, for we can talk wait. about it on the next episode. Oh, okay. I can't give it all away. Okay. Um, but the, I, know, I knew I would get that reaction from you. Uh, certainly some... Some some interesting stuff on both players that's worth worth reading on ChicagoTribune.com. I, I did not know about this, but I'm gonna have I cannot wait now. All right. My last bullet point is uh, we scaled Camelback Mountain uh, last week. Got my ten year old up there. Have you ever done that? You ever yes. been to the top? Yeah, so, a couple times. It's fun. And we went up the hard side at Echo Cannon and it was a really cool experience. What's also cool about it is you realize quickly how many people from Chicago are in Phoenix in the spring and now you're climbing the mountain. Ran past a couple of people in, in Illini gear and I threw out, uh, you know, I and I as we're climbing up the ladder. Well, one guy, I don't even know his name, but but he stopped when I yelled I and I at him and told me all the updates on all the players leaving the basketball program from Jaden Epps to, to, to Coleman Hawkins. And so I got my news on the attrition from the Illini basketball program middle of the way up Camelback Mountain just by shouting I and I at a guy in, in some Illini. They're camp. everywhere. They're absolutely <laughs> everywhere. And I'm sure if you would have stuck around a little longer, they told you there are a thousand players in the portal since March 1st. And Brad Underwood has spent most of his time kind of scouring through those names because you know why, Dan? He's had the time. They got eliminated <laughs> after the first game. 
It's Sorry. a port. It's a portal Sorry. world. It's a portal world, David. And that, now this is what we're living in in the world of college basketball. By, by the way, you teased the whole uh, Germany thing. What's the latest on that? Uh, what, what, where are we with the Sprechen Sie Deutsch and the Bears and, and headed to where are they playing this year? Is it Frankfurt? Is Munich, it Berlin? Munich. Munich. Munich, of course. Yeah, Munich. Uh, Hofbrauhaus. Okay. House. Uh, Bears fans will take over the Opera House. I don't have any uh, concrete intel on this. I know our uh, mutual friend David Kaplan has reported that that's a done deal and that the Bears will play the Chiefs in Munich this season. Uh, it has long been the understanding that the Chiefs would host either the host, quote unquote, in, in Munich, either the Bears or Lions. And from some folks I've talked to recently, it sure seems like the leaning is the Bears. But I don't have anything concrete to confirm the Catman's report. I think the schedule comes out at the start of May. Usually the international games come out two or three days before they release the whole slate. So we may have to wait a few more weeks on confirmation there uh will you go will we will we i don't know uh, I, I would love to do a remote from uh from munich from germany that would be great i love i've been to germany before berlin and frankfurt i was there i did i covered a frankfurt galaxy practice uh back in the day i uh definitely would go to germany if the bears are playing in germany or would want to i can't speak for uh my employer i don't know if they would send me i doubt it but um I'll help I, you brush up on your German. Ausgezeichnet. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> that means That's excellent. Not, okay. <laughs> that sounds like something Cap would scream when he's telling everybody that they're going to play in Munich. Is this a recap? of Zweibier, bitte. <laughs> How do you say take that in Germany? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, That's in German, that, that would be something. I would say, nehmen Sie das, okay. I think it's take yeah. that, something like that. <laughs> you, with Cap, you don't really actually focus on what he's saying is typically how he says it. So it's just with a little bit of oomph. Who was the German equivalent of Dave Kaplan? We'll have to con- we'll have to consider all these things. Hey, Studs is always looking for guests for the the show. If we can get the German equivalent <laughs> of Cap on our show, that would be a, a wonderful show. Or not? <laughs> or not? We'll have to wait and see. Okay, that's a good one. We uh, I think we covered everything. We got went a little bit and longer more. than usual and yeah. more. So we'll get um, we'll keep an eye on what's going on at Hallis. We'll talk about the pre-draft stuff. We'll regroup and regather and get some more information next time. Um, anything else, Dan? We covered it That's all? That's it. That's it. Okay. Thank you for listening to the Take the North podcast. You can find us on your free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for watching on the 670 Scores YouTube page where you can find us and download and watch it again. For Dan Weeder, for Adam Studzinski, I'm David Hall. We'll talk to you next time on the Take the North podcast. Alvita Zane. <laughs>